the Get Real Indie Filmcast with Jeffrey Michael Bays and Forrest Day Jr. You know, I got an email from my publisher, and because uh, <laughs> uh, we're doing a podcast, and uh, as it happens, most of the guests on our show, um, they're actually write books for this publisher too. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the publishers like. Uh, you know, we're looking for, you know, people that want to be on the show and things like that. And he's like, well, why don't you be on the show to talk about your book, Suspense with a Camera? Yeah, why <laughs> Why haven't like, you been? I'm like, why, what, do you want me to interview myself? or? <laughs> I'll interview you. I'll do oh. it. Okay, so maybe we'll, uh, maybe we can do that sometime. I don't know. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do yeah. it. And we'll, t- we'll, we'll talk about uh, Hitch 20 also. Yes, because we don't spend enough time talking about what we're involved in. Because we have all these guests and we want to talk about what the guests are involved in. And mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, we kind of neglect talking about who we are and uh, what we're all about. So, uh, yeah. So we'll do that sometime. <laughs> all right. That sounds that sounds yes. awesome. Yes. That sounds awesome. So on the show today is one of those authors that has he's written a book for Michael Weesey Productions called The Hidden Tools of Comedy. And uh, his name is Steve Kaplan. Mm-hmm. Funny guy. A funny guy. He is. And uh, yes, so I'm excited to uh, bring him on the show today because uh, we need a little bit of humor in today's time. Yes, we do. We're going to talk about writing comedy for film. We're going to talk about stand-up comedy. We're going to talk about how comedy has changed over the years. Just a lot of good stuff that we want to ask Steve Mm-hmm. And I want to ask him about Roseanne Barr. Oh, yes. Yes. I, I want to ask him about it. Yes. Yeah, because of the controversy and, uh, you know, comedy stuff nowadays, because comedy crosses lines naturally. And, you know, where is that line nowadays? The line's so blurred. I mean, um, you know, what was funny uh, in the 70s is no longer funny in the, um, what are we, in the 10s? So, Teens. Yeah. The teens, the tens, the teens. We're not in the ones anymore. We're in the tens. 18. That, that'd be a 10. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to talk to him and learn about how comedy has changed over the years. He's a, the, the guy's like a, um, an Einstein of comedy. Yes, he's the, he's the most sought-after expert in comedy. And we have him here. Yeah. This how, is so how did exciting. That I don't know. This is exciting. He advises DreamWorks, Disney, HBO, Paramount. Uh, He created the HBO New Writers Program and the HBO Workspace. And Steve has taught at UCLA, New York University, and Yale. And he wrote the book, The Hidden Tools of Comedy, The Serious Business of Being Funny. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm I'm happy to be here. Now, why is it called a hidden tool? Uh, I I use that... um uh, that term, not only because it's, uh, you know, it's a good marketing term. Okay. No, I, I, I did that because when I was researching my book and I was, I was doing the work, uh, the exploratory work, uh, I had, I had started a theater in, in New York that was completely devoted to comedy. I did projects for HBO. And as I was doing this work, uh, what people knew about comedy was, um, the letter K was funny, things in threes were funny, and you had to be born funny. Mm-hmm. And so what people knew about comedy, uh, what they knew in order to teach it to other people, because, I mean, there have been great comedy writers, great comic performers 
Um, but what they knew to pass along was was limited or or mythological. Um, the idea that you have to be born funny to be funny, which is uh, because you've never seen a baby, uh, you know, be delivered, uh, hit in the butt by a doctor, and you know, turn around and say, you know, a funny thing happened to me on the way through the fallopian tubes. <laughs> you've never seen that, and and so so I started to uh, to discern that there were these uh, levers and and uh, and winches and and gears that were either unexplored or or unknown or or simply uh, out of sight that that great comedy writers and great comedy performers took for granted but had never really been analyzed and dissected and and in a way that's what that's what my that's what my book is about. That's what I've been teaching is the idea that there is a way to learn it. There is a science and an art to it. And it's, it's something that can be uh, transmitted and, and communicated and taught as opposed to you simply had to have the right birth canal in <laughs> order to, in order to be funny. How would somebody, how would a screenwriter take a drama and add a little bit of comedy to it? It's always fun to laugh, even in a serious moment. Is right. That- well, I mean, that's that's actually uh, a good question. It's it's a simple question, but in order to answer it, uh, I have to kind of take a step back. Okay. Um, because the the mistake that people often make is, well, I've got a drama. I want to have something funny happen, so I'm going to do something funny. I'm going to have somebody trip into a pyramid of cans in a soup cans in a supermarket and they'll all fall down and that will be funny. Um, uh, which may or may not be funny uh, because what we start with is we start with the idea that there's a difference between funny and comedy. Funny Hmm. is whatever makes you laugh. And if you're not laughing at it to you, it's not funny. So that's simple. But on the other hand, uh, if, uh, uh, you shake a, a set of keys at, at a baby, you can make the baby laugh. Mm-hmm. So is that comedy? I mean, would you go into a pitch meeting at Paramount shaking keys and saying, you see, <laughs> you see, this is really working. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and people, you know, people tell horrible jokes, uh, horrible, racist, sexist jokes, and they make other horrible, racist, sexist people laugh. So is that comedy? So, so we differentiate between what's funny and what's comic. Funny is whatever makes you laugh. Comic is the art of telling the truth. And specifically, it's the art of telling the truth about people. Comedy is the art of telling the truth about people. Now, some people say, but drama is the same thing, except that drama teaches a beautiful lie. I mean, um, in drama, you have these heroic sometimes anguished, sensitive people doing heroic, sometimes anguished, sensitive things. And that's all great. But like I, like I often say, if you've ever seen a production of Hamlet, you've probably never seen Hamlet pass win, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, because what would happen if you're uh, in a production, you're watching a production of Hamlet or you're in a production of Hamlet and Hamlet's going to be or not to be, that is, I mean, 
you know, what, what, what would happen? It would make the audience laugh. If there something real would happen, or some accident would happen, that would make the audience laugh. So, so drama helps us dream about what we could be. It's a beautiful dream, but comedy helps us live with who we are. Comedy tells the truth about people because in comedies you can have pain and laughter, whereas in many dramas, you know, sometimes sometimes comedy would be. Um, uh, the wrong element, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in, in a, in a very, a dark, dark drama or in a soap opera. Uh, but on the other hand, you can think of many comedies, almost every comedy you can think of has moments of real pathos, real pain, real, real people going through hard times. I mean, that, in fact, that's what the basis of comedy is. Comedy is about people trying to make it through uh, a difficult day in, in the best way they can. And the best way that most people can is in, in a bumbling, inept way. So, so comedy tells the truth about people. And from that, we can draw not a formula, but what we call a paradigm, what we call the comedy equation. The comedy is about an ordinary guy or gal, Jackie Gleason used to call him a moke, mm-hmm. without many of the required skills and tools with which to win, yet never giving up hope ordinary person struggling against insurmountable odds without many of the required skills with which to win yet never giving up hope. And from that equation, we can start to draw these, what I call the the hidden tools of comedy. Um, And one of the hidden tools of comedy is the idea that, that rather than thinking about comic characters as, as clowns or as fools or as, or as exaggerated idiots, we use the term non-hero. A non-hero is simply somebody who lacks some, if not all, the essential skills and tools with which to win. So, so to and to take a long time to answer a simple question: How do you introduce comedy into a, into a drama? You introduce a character that carries comedy with them. A character mm-hmm. that's that is that is less than perfect, that sees the world uh, kind of in their own unique way and, and deals with the world in the, in the kind of their own unique way. So if you think about an action film like True Lies with, uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Yep. Yeah. So where's the comedy come from? The sure. comedy comes from Tom Arnold. Mm-hmm. Tom Arnold is this, is this schlumpy guy who's in the spy business where, where if you look at him, he has no right to be in the spy business with, with, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he's in the spy business with Arnold Schwarzenegger and his, all his perspective, all his point of view is, is something that's very similar to us. He's not a, he's not a, a, a brave person. He doesn't have physical courage. He's not strong. He's not, uh, buff like Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's like us. So in those weird situations, he kind of carries our point of view. So you put Tom Arnold in a scene in True Lies and you have comedy. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not about doing something funny or having um, uh, a character say something funny. It's really just having a human character, uh, a character that we can identify with, that we can relate with, try to just deal with any kind of situation at all 
it's going to be uh, comic. Um, for instance, uh, put uh, let's let's say you have twelve guys in a room with guns, and they're all going to kill the hero. And the hero is, oh, I don't know, um, you know, back back in the day, uh, we used to think that Charles Bronson was was kind of one of those heroes that you know there wasn't a lot of wasn't a lot of comic relief with Charles Bronson, right? Right. And, and, and I guess I'm 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 unfortunately dating myself, but let's put Charles Bronson in a room with twelve guys with guns. Mm-hmm. What happens? Well, they're probably going to think he's going to shoot him. <laughs> Death okay, wish. Okay, but but what 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 happens with Charles Bronson and the twelve guys with guns? Who wins? Well, we assume Charles Bronson. Why? Because he's the tough guy. He's a tough guy. He's got skills. He's a tough guy. He's good with weapons. He's he's good in a fight. He's calm under pressure. He's you know he's got all these skills. He's good at weaponry. He's he can he, you can shoot him in the elbow. He'll keep on going. He's got all these skills. <laughs> um, put I don't know. Put Woody Allen in a room with twelve guys with guns. What happens? Yeah, whole different atmosphere. You know, you picture Woody Allen with a gun falling out of his hand. Falling out, he'll he'll be he'll be talking to him. He'll say, "Don't shoot me! I'm a, I'm a bleeder. It'll ruin the rug." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So, so, so here's the point: it's not about doing something funny. It's about cre- It's about introducing a character who's going to carry that comic point of view, that comic perspective, and the comic perspective is simply they're just they're just like us. I mean, if you go to a bar, how many James Bonds and how many Hamlets are there and how many Ben Stillers and, and, you know, and Woody Allens are there? There's a lot more of us than than uh, than the hero. Mm -hmm. So so the so the the quick answer to how do you introduce uh, comedy into a drama is make sure that in your cast you have one or two characters that's going to carry that human point of view mm-hmm. that 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 fallible less than perfect person and it works in a feature film i, I assume the same ideas work in a novel and, and work does it work in stand up comedy and all forms of comedy or you got to uh, kind of shift it, it? it it works in performance comedy i mm-hmm. mean i i i can't uh my focus has always been in performance comedy, whether it's uh, a stand-up comedy or or it's a feature film uh, with humor, which is literary comedy. Mm-hmm. It's a little different. Literary comedy is um, very much very dependent upon wordplay, syntax, uh, how you phrase things. Uh, performance comedy has some of that, but not as much. Um, if you're thinking about stand-ups, stand-ups are simply one-person shows where the cast parties are very, are, you know, are very uh, unimpressive. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a stand-up is uh, is is a persona. It's a it's a specific character that sees the world in, in a very specific way. So if you put uh, Jerry Seinfeld up against, oh, I don't know, Bobcat Bobcat Goldthwait. You know, even though they're both stand-ups, their material is very different because their personas are very different. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or Jerry Seinfeld and George Carlin, uh, who was, you know, the the kind of the angry old guy. 
uh, who who just didn't give a, didn't give a crap anymore and would just tell the truth as he saw it. Steve, stay right there. Uh, we have a lot more to get to. We have to take a quick break here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get into the Roseanne controversy and find out what Steve thinks about that and how comedy has changed in the era of the internet and smartphones. And uh, we're going to talk about how you can get started if you want to be a writer in comedy. Right back with Steve Kaplan, the author of The Hidden Tools of Comedy. That's one thing Alfred Hitchcock was really good at, creating suspense with a camera. For the last couple of years, I've been teaching Hitchcock suspense techniques at festivals like Buffalo, St. Louis, Palm Springs, Los Angeles. Filmmakers are learning easy tricks for building suspense that are so easy to implement. Now there's a way for you to get access in my new book, Suspense with a Camera. It's available in bookstores now. And don't miss our free docuseries on YouTube called Hitch 20. talking with uh, Steve Kaplan, the author of The Hidden Tools of Comedy. Now, Steve, I want to get into Roseanne here in a minute uh, before we go, but also... Poor way of pr- phrasing. <laughs> yeah, okay. The, the comedian uh, telling his own jokes. I get it. I um, love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what I wanted to ask you is, uh, in your biography, it mentions that you've uh, been a script doctor and that you've advised... Uh, productions for DreamWorks, Disney, HBO, Paramount, etc. Um, what kind of what kind of projects have you done? That's what I wanted to ask. Well, well specifically, I've I've done workshops for those places. I see. Um, so I haven't I I'm, I haven't been working with them on specific films or TV shows. I've done workshops at DreamWorks and at Disney. I did uh, developmental projects for HBO. Um, so so in in so far as that. I've done I've done script consultations both for producers and individual writers. So, do you know what shows you've influenced? Well, um, one of my students was Steve Scrovan, and he was a writer on uh, both Seinfeld and Everybody Loves Raymond. So, you could say I influenced that. But I can't I can't I can't take credit for 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 shows that I didn't work on. Mm-hmm. What's your uh, a piece of advice you'd give to somebody? who uh, may be a stand-up comedian or an actor who wants to get into the business, because it is a business, as you say, as your, your book, actually, the series Business of Being Funny. What's um, your one golden piece of advice that you'd give to them? Well, it really depends. I mean, do they want to be an actor? Do they want to be a writer? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, guess, I guess the golden piece of advice is, is, is move to a big city. Uh, it's, it's easier if you're in Chicago or New York or, or Los Angeles, it's a little harder, uh, but not impossible. It's a little harder if you're in, uh, uh, you know, uh, a small town in Idaho. Yep. Makes sense. Only because comedy requires, uh, teamwork, 
comedy requires a team. It requires a group of people. The if you're the funniest person in the room, I would suggest you find another room <laughs> in which you're not the funniest person. So, so one of the if you look at the constellation uh, of comedy performers and comedy stars now, what you see are you see they've come from these incubators where where like-minded and and equally talented people have kind of pooled their talents, pooled their their own particular viewpoints and have come out of it sharper and richer and and more more capable um uh second city in in chicago the ground links in la and uh ucb in new york and uh and and more than that then you have those people who are writers going on and uh joining writing rooms like um like the writing room at Seinfeld or the writing room, uh, the writer's room at, at Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, and, and so that's really the, uh, the graduate school of, of comedy. So if, if you want to, I guess my golden rule is go where there are other funny people and, and try to work with them, mm-hmm. whether it's an improv group or a sketch group or, or the Harvard Lampoon uh, don't be the only funny person, you know, that's a good piece of advice. I like it. Jeffrey had brought up Roseanne. Now this is somebody who has made it obviously. And, um, and now she's in a, a, a pot of boiling water for comments she made. Can we, uh, talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, I mean, you know, you have to, I guess you want to separate uh, the the artist from the from the insane person, even though it's probably the same thing. But uh, she, for some reason, uh, she has over the years adopted a, a lot of interesting ideas and points of view. Um, and and unfortunately, uh, she she was not was not open to the idea of keeping it to the, keeping it to herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when they started Roseanne again, uh, I'm told that, uh, that the powers that be said, you know, we love this project. We think it's going to be great. This is even before it had these amazing ratings. And um, so Roseanne Connor is not Roseanne Barr. And, uh, just uh, go light on the whole um, uh, pedophile in the basement of a pizza parlor thing, mm-hmm. and uh, and she did that for a little bit, but I guess she couldn't do it for for forever. And you know she blamed she blamed Ambien, but as Ambien said, racism is not a side effect of, ta- of taking Ambien. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so. So I, I, you know, she's not the she's not the only person who has had to deal with kind of blowback in in her career. Uh, she joins a long line of of very talented people who you know either can't can't keep off Twitter or can't keep it in their pants. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I'm thinking of of Louis C.K. Louis C.K. who 
who was probably, next to Chris Rock, the best stand-up comic of our time. And we find out that he had some unusual proclivities <laughs> that, that make it very hard for people to want to or make it, I guess there are people who will tune into him no matter what, but it makes it very hard for the people who are going to capitalize and, and uh, finance what he wants to do, make it hard for them to give him a platform. I mean, I mean, what do you think about Roseanne and what happened to her? I, I, I think it's, it's, it's inevitable mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that something that requires a mass audience, there are some lines you can't cross, I guess. Mm. And I guess unsubstantiated racism uh, and xenophobia are probably one of those lines. And and if that makes me a, you know, a, uh, a snowflake, so, so be it. <laughs> um, but, but it's, it has nothing, it really doesn't have anything to do with her comedy. Mm-hmm. I mean, her comedy, uh, at least I didn't watch a lot of the of the the new season because uh, there was just something about the performer that I just didn't want to deal with. Right. Quite right. frankly. Now, I might watch the new sitcom that they're going to make out of the Connors. I guess she stepped into a black hole and they'll explain it that <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah, that'll be interesting. But, but her original sitcom was brilliant because it told the truth when she and Dan Goodman had an argument. It wasn't one of those cutesy, we're yelling at each other, but we really still love each other kind of sitcom-y arguments you used to see. Yeah. It was a fight. It was a fight the way people fight. And uh, she was cynical and sarcastic, but still uh, very protective of her own. And it was a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess when she came back, they were hoping for a bit of that end and they got that they 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 caught lightning in a bottle, but then unfortunately the lightning got out of the bottle, mm. and and I I just don't think you can do that and not think that there's going to be some blowback. I mean, could they have made her apology, done the apology tour, and then come back? Sure, um, uh, you, who knows how that would have gone? But I'm tired of people apologizing. Quite frankly. Uh, George Carlin once said that a comedian's job is to know where the line is and cross it. So I'm tired of Kathy Griffin uh, apologizing. I understand why they do. Yeah. Because yeah. because otherwise uh, the people who disagree with her politics are going to make her life uh, just too unbearable. Um, plus, you know, all the you know, plus mainstream uh, outlets uh, shun her. Um, uh, but, uh, I, I'm, I'm I'm tired of Samantha B. I wish Samantha B didn't apologize, but I, again, I understand why. Uh, but sometimes you have to apologize like Michael Richards, when Michael Richards had a bad day in a comedy club and he just kind of went off and, you know, it was at the, uh, dawn of the age of the smartphone video. And that was it for him. Yep. Which is which is sad, but and he did the apology tour, uh, but you, some things you, some things it's hard to come back from. So do you think uh, do you think comedy has changed? 
I guess since the internet, the internet seems to be affecting comedy and what people think is funny and what people uh, pretend isn't funny. We've we've had uh, this whole controversy about uh, The Simpsons uh, quite recently. Uh, people offended at the Apu character. Um, do you think comedy has changed uh, taking The Simpsons as the example, uh, a show that started in the 80s and uh, still exists? Um, is what's funny, Is has that changed or what is different? Well, what's funny has always changed. I mean, if you watch a an Ernie Kovacs special from the 50s, you you and I and most people will find it interesting, brilliant, but slow and not funny um, uh, to our tastes, to, to our way of thinking. I mean, uh, a sitcom shot in the 60s uh, can play today. Uh, so yeah, so our our idea of what's funny changes, and and uh, our idea of what's acceptable changes. So you have the idea that uh, because of HBO and streaming, uh, you can say and do anything. Uh, Samantha B found that that wasn't quite the case. But on the other hand, there's there's been a a backlash to that freedom, the freedom you know that. George Carlin, when he did his routine on the seven words you can't say on TV, uh, which was extraordinary, and now you can say all those words mm-hmm. on TV. Yeah, uh, they just they just put a bleep in them, and and but you can say them on CBS, you can say them on late night, you can say them on the Tonight Show. They just you know put a little bleep in there. But what comics are finding is that there are the outrage industry is is going full bore there there the outrage industry is is working overtime uh comics are coming back from colleges and finding that before they even go on the people who are booking comics into colleges are telling them don't talk about this don't talk about that don't talk about rape don't you know there there are all these subjects that are taboo and that's that's counter to what comedy is supposed to be, which is we're supposed to talk about all the taboo stuff and to show that, you know, to show what's really there. But, but, uh, so that, that climate has, has changed a lot. How do you think George Carlin would uh, survive today? How would he handle it? Uh, he would, he, I think he would double down. I mean, George Carlin is a great example of somebody who started out in the sixties as the most white bread, mainstream, middle of the road comic you could imagine. The hippy dippy weatherman uh, made fun of a type that didn't really even exist really in nature, but it was it was making fun of an idea. It was a very easy uh, grab. Uh, and after he did that, uh, for a number of years, and he was very successful doing that with the tie and the suit, and, you know, the sports coat. And he said, "This isn't real. This isn't what I want to talk about. This isn't who I am. This isn't this. This isn't important." And he then went away and came back. I mean, you know, unfortunately, a lot of it was fueled by uh, recreational drugs uh, to his to his detriment, uh, physical detriment, um, but. He came back and his his stuff was brilliant, 
fighting, and it's still today, 20 years after, 10 years after some of the routines, as timely as ever. I guess the the, the comic that's left, um, there, there are a number of comics that are left. I think the, the two that I think of the most in, ter- in terms of doing something that helps us as human beings is Chris Rock and Sarah Silverman. Um, yeah. uh, those two are uh, in, in very different ways, uh, brilliant and, and brilliant comedians. And both are, both are, are, are very good filmmakers as well. And speaking of filmmaking, what about movies? It seems to me, and this might just be because I'm older now, I grew up in the 80s, um, and it seems to me that there were a lot more comedy movies in the 80s, and especially a lot more classic comedies that still hold up today. Uh, you've got the Zucker Brothers with Airplane, and you've got the National Lampoon and Vacation series, uh, uh, John Hughes with a lot of Really funny movies, family movies, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, one of my f- all-time favorites. And then you've you know got Mel Brooks in the 70s and 80s, and the, the list goes on <laughs> of films that uh, I relate to. And, and maybe it's just because you know I was a kid in that time. Um, but it doesn't seem like uh, there are as many movies like that now. Is there a reason for that? Um, what do you think has changed well, there? I, th- I think I think there are a couple of things that work there. For one, uh, comedies can't compete with explosions for overseas sales. Uh, you can dub in uh, somebody screaming "Ah!" as as something explodes, whether it's in Mandarin or or Farsi. Um, but uh, comedy is harder to to export. Um, although, although it, it can happen, and also I, I think the uh, the shift from comedy from the four quadrant comedy that you're talking about to R-rated comedy has also um, been some good box office here, but but has uh, as, as as filmmakers push the envelope. Uh, they push it so far as to exclude a lot of people. So, I mean, for me, I, I love I love the the Judd Apatow comedies, um, although a lot of them are you know R rated, if not if not you know X rated in their hearts. Uh, but if you're looking for comedies that the whole family can enjoy, I think I think uh, for the most part, filmmakers have given that area up to to animated comedies mm. pixar uh disney dreamworks those those are the people making comedies that everybody can enjoy toy story um finding nemo uh the incredibles uh, those those are comedies that i i think take up some of that some of that space that that those john hughes comedies used to make but look, look where look where the emphasis is in terms of film. Uh, what what are the biggest films out there nowadays? They're comic book movies. Now, listen, I love a good comic book movie, but where are all the interesting writers going? They're they're in they're in television or streaming. Uh, the, starting with you know the Sopranos and 
uh, Breaking Bad and The Wire. Uh, you don't have as many comedies per se um, uh, in terms of that in terms of that space. But uh, I, I would say that uh, a lot of the great series that we that that we have binged lately have been comedy dramas or drama comedies. Um, certainly, certainly, The Wire had humor in it. Um, uh, Breaking Bad was ironic uh, while also horrifying and chilling at times. Uh, in terms of feature film comedies, sometimes it's it's a bit of a desert. Mm-hmm. Um, you you have uh, bad rom coms fighting with bad uh, high concept comedies. Uh, fighting with um, just badly executed uh, premises. Um, uh, there was a comedy that just came out recently, Tag. Have you seen it? No. No. So they have. There's this interesting article written about these guys who have been playing this game of tag uh, into their fifties. That's kind of charming and heartwarming and what did the filmmakers turn it into hangover four so so it's what i talked about in the very beginning there's a difference between funny and comedy and unfortunately people still think funny is what comedies are all about but no comedy funny is the is the result of watching people try to do their best in impossible situations without giving up. The end result of that is funny or touching or, or moving or, or strange. Um, all the things that, that, uh, that you were able to get out of planes, trains, and automobile, as opposed to what, what can we do that hasn't been done before that will be both rude and shocking and and will will make people laugh but but chasing funny is a losing proposition because funny is subjective so the more you chase something that's subjective some people are going to like it some people are not but if you try to create comedy tell the truth about people tell the truth about how they live or who they are then you're going to have great comedy. And there is great comedy on television. Veep is great comedy. You know, uh, I, I, you know, um, Master of None, there are some episodes of there that is great comedy. Episodes, uh, the, the David Crane uh, series about the making of a terrible sitcom was great comedy. So there, ha- there is some great comedy, uh, uh, just not as much as there's been great drama. On television and and movies, there's there's great action films. And if you try to look at why are Marvel movies more successful than DC, Marvel movies uh, understand that comedy comedy communicates better than than angst in term in terms of those kind of movies. So so yeah, Marvel has a lot of comedy in it, uh, whereas. Um, like De- like uh, Deadpool, like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, whereas uh, the DC comedy, you know, comic book movies are sometimes they're relentless in their in their um, 
dark nightism. Steve Kaplan is the author of The Hidden Tools of Comedy, The Serious Business of Being Funny. You can contact him at kaplancomedy.com. Ship's log. We're cruising through the universe on the planet Earth uh, at a rate of some god-awful speed. So is this a meteorite? We're screwed. Is this part of the show or are you just talking? I'm just talking. (laughs) I'm I'm just talking. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Had to do my ship's log for crying out loud. (laughs) So that's our show for today. And we thank Steve Kaplan for joining us. Um, And a lot of good guests coming up. We have John Tregonis in a few weeks. He's going to be talking about crowdfunding. Crowdfunding. The quickest way. He knows Mm -hmm. his stuff. The quickest way to get people to stop talking to you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, ask them for money. (laughs) We still uh, have no orders for the wax cylinder uh, version of the podcast. uh, They're coming. Jeffrey, they're coming. They're coming. (laughs) They're on their way. Uh, I think we should uh, say that. You know, we have to we have to receive at least 100 orders before we can actually uh, produce these things. That sounds like a cop out to me. I want to make <laughs> if I got one order, I want to make this thing. OK, what am I going to okay. do if somebody orders one? I don't, <laughs> I don't even I don't even know how to make a wax cylinder. Probably if take you don't toilet. know what we're talking about, listen to episode eight. Yeah. The Get Real Indie Filmcast is a production of Borges Networks 2018.